Hi guys, my name is Rebecca. Welcome to the show and the place where we are unleashing women to be who God created them to be, to have fruitful relationships with Christ, to produce good fruit on this planet, to actually bring heaven to earth. That is what we were created for and it's when we are the most satisfied. I'm a Christian speaker and a life coach and this is a place for any woman who loves God and loves growth and wants to make the most of her life right now. Let's get to the good stuff. Welcome to the show today, everybody. I am honored to have a new friend here and somebody who's going to bring a lot of wisdom, a lot of value. We have a, a little bit of a shorter episode today, but it's going to be a different one. And it's going to be a topic that really appeals to all of us. It doesn't really matter what our relationship status is, what it is that you're facing, what it is that you're dealing with. It's a beautiful beautiful topic. And even just a word that I, that I love, we're going to be talking about compassion. Mm. And I have with me today, Julie Hall. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, and she's going to bring to us just some of her thoughts about how this, what she's learned about compassion, how it helps people grow, how powerful it is. Welcome to the show, Julie. Thank you so much, Rebecca. It's great to be here. Um, why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe where you're from or anything else that, that you might want them to know about you before we ju- jump in. Sure. So I am, as you mentioned, I am a therapist and I practice in Connecticut. I also practice in New York. Um, I have a uh, born and raised in New Jersey. I lived on the West coast for about, uh, 13 years. I lived in California and then I lived in the state of Washington Mm. and now am here in Connecticut with my husband, our daughter, and we've got two little rescue pups. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) You lived in California. I lived there too. Where were you at in California? San Francisco. Okay. I was born in Fremont and lived like inland you know, the, the central Valley for my whole life until about four years ago. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> Gotta love it. Um, yeah. and then leave it <laughs> right. a lot of people at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, so this topic of compassion, I'm sure that you are a, a, an expert at this, just in holding space for your clients and, and being able to have compassion on people. I like to think that I, I'm good at that too, as a coach and just how healing that can be for people. But before we get to that portion, how would you maybe define it? What are some examples or words you would use if somebody was just like, well, what is compassion? Yes. It's such a great question. I don't know if I've been asked that before, as far as how (laughs) do you in fact define it? I would say compassion is really, um, a state of being towards self and a state of being towards others, right? It is um, speaking to self in a way that is um, kind, in a way that is understanding, in a way that is curious, Mm -hmm. um, and making space for self in that way. And from that place, we can then make space for others Mm -hmm. um, with this lens of openness kindness, um, curiosity, non-judgment. Um, and there's a lot of benefit there and we yeah. can talk about that. Yeah. 
Yeah. So let's talk for a second then even about the opposite, because I know sometimes when I highlight <laughs> what the opposite is, it gives me even a clearer picture of, of whether or not I am compassionate or whether or not there's, you know, compassionate people in my life. You said the word already non-judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, like as immediately when I think about compassion, I think the opposite of compassion is judgment. Um, mm-hmm. Any other things that you like that you might throw in there as probably synonyms of judgment, criticism, uh, shaming, um, guilt, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. anger, bitterness, resentment. Um, and those are sort of like stems mm-hmm. from that place of judgment. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what I would say is sort of the opposite of that. Okay. And, and the opposite of that, I will share, you know, from my work with clients, uh, I, I really do believe that the ways that we move through the world, they have a function. So even that critic in us, as unpleasant at it as it is, um, it has served a function. Yeah. For a lot of high functioning people, um, it has been a driver. Mm-hmm. Right. If I can shame myself, if I can, mm-hmm. you, know, mm-hmm. you know, if, if I can get critical with myself, it might drive me into change. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I am even mindful of not shaming that critic because again, it has shown up for us for good reason. Yeah. You know, I was going to save this question, but I'm going to ask it now. Why do people fear compassion? And, and, it, you know, I jump right to that. Well, if I've always been a harsh inner critic of myself or other people, or I learned criticism from my mom, for example, or the home I grew up in, and that worked, it made me a straight A student. Then I'm going to be critical of my kids because I'm afraid if I may be too gracious or too compassionate with my kids, well, then they're not going to get, that's how people get stuff done. That's right. That's right. I think exactly. People are afraid of this practice of compassion because I think they really believe for good reason that it will keep them stuck. It will keep the people that they care about stuck or Or in a lazy or right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Or in some position of disempowerment. Okay. Okay. So why is that not true? Right. Why is it not true? I think because what I generally find is that this kind of critic in us, um, or this, this, uh, the critic in us, number one, it does not tell necessarily an accurate story about who we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I do really believe it's important for us to mm-hmm. put language to what the critic is saying. Mm-hmm. What is the story that the critic is saying? or telling me about who I am and telling me about the world around me. Because oftentimes that story is not entirely accurate. Right. It's not entirely accurate. Which I specifically call that out as truth or a lie. You know, a lot of what I do is focused on truth and helping women live in truth because I think reality is what is most, most healthy, right? Even when reality is a hard pill to swallow, this is how we, keep our mental health and our emotional health and our spiritual health is truth, truth, truth. And so I love that. I love that you just like, okay, even if your inner critic has spurred you on your whole life or another person has been a critic, right? It's not always just your own inner voice, but maybe there's been a lack of compassion around you or in you your whole life. And it's driven you to be the person that you are. 
and which is in some ways successful, but probably also anxious or slightly depressed or insecure or whatever the negatives are. Those parts are the result of the, of the, the lie, you know? So, so being able to call out that critic and say, is this boy, if it's not true, even if it might be motivating you, it's not really, it's not good for you in the long run. It's not good for your identity. It's not good for your heart. It's not good for your relationship with God. So like, you know, we, we, I love that, like the critic isn't telling a true story most of the time. No. And it is, you know, what I, what I believe about this kind of self-critic in us, as much as it has driven me and maybe has given me success, I really don't believe that that success is sustainable. It is not sustainably effective. It costs too much more, right? The costs are I exactly what you, what you shared, Rebecca. The cost is anxiety. The mm-hmm. cost is maybe anger. The cost is, you know, depressive symptoms, um, insecurity. Um, it's essentially me kind of operating from this place of threat response. That's mm-hmm. the language I would use, right? It's mm-hmm. when I'm in that position of shaming myself, I am sort of activating that threat response position in myself. And the threat response position in myself keeps me it almost like blocks or chokes my access to that higher level of thinking Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. higher level of thinking that reasoning problem solving creativity right Mm -hmm. so when i'm in this position it blocks my access to those beautiful places within me that accelerate my growth right right? it blocks my access to who i am authentically Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's I, the problem. That is the problem. Yeah. I use the words a lot within my, um, I have a group coaching program that I call the abundant life lab and mm. talk a lot about like, if you're stuck in fight that fight or flight mode, which you just called kind of a threat response mm-hmm. versus a rest and restore mode, which is like the security of knowing, you know, that you're loved, accepted, living in grace, living in compassion, living in acceptance. That's the only place that we can grow, problem solve, uh, have a high emotional intelligence, not overreact to things, all these things that women often come to me with. And they're like, I don't know how to change all this stuff about me. Um, and yes, I just try harder to change it instead of, you know, the work that, that I try to help them do as a coach is what do we need to change in your heart, in your mind to make you feel better, you know, so that your responses will change. That's so good. That's so good. good. Right. We have to have a new narrative in Mm -hmm. order to really sustain any kind of Mm -hmm. behavior change. Mm -hmm. Now Mm -hmm. we don't have to get too personal here if you don't want to, but I'm curious because I, I did not grow up with an inner critic. Um, Mm -hmm. my were gracious, like, you know, I went through a period in my life. I didn't get married until I was 39, which was a year and a half ago. So Mm -hmm. I I went through like 20 years of singleness, which Satan really used against me at some point. You know, I started Mm. to think it was all my fault. I started to wonder and kind of think I was inherently unlovable or like less than like, so, so I went there a little bit, but I didn't grow up like that. And Mm -hmm. I didn't have to rewire my brain in that way. Um, Mm -hmm. Did, do, did you deal with that personally or, or are you just kind of good at, at helping other people deal with it? Um, 
that's a great question. I did not deal with it personally. I saw it mm -hmm. um, in relationships that were very close to me. I think what I dealt with was more of, you know, I grew up in a, uh, a home in, with like an immigrant family. My parents immigrated to the States in the 70s and uh, from India. And that was, um, and there wasn't a lot of attention placed on emotional or mental health. Mm, I bet. Right. And survival it, probably. <laughs> right. Exactly. It mm. was survival. It was, you know, get a good education mm. and stay out of trouble and mm. keep it moving. And that's how we get through. And, um, and I think a lot was missed in that place coupled with, you know, I, I, I grew up in a home of faith, which was wonderful. And, I appreciate everything about that. I think what what happened sometimes was this distortion that when we experienced emotional pain, um, it was met with platitudes. Well, mm -hmm. you're not believing enough. You're doubting in who God is. You know, if you only, you know, did more, if you only prayed more, if you, you know, read your Bible more, if you knew more of scripture, then you wouldn't be experiencing this. Right. And so those kinds of mm -hmm. um, perspectives, what they would do for me is they would keep me closed off. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I, there was no permission to explore emotional pain, confusion, mm -hmm. uh, lies, right. The language that you use, right. There was no, um, there was no permission given for that. Right. It was shut down. Um, and to some extent shamed. Yeah. Shamed. What would you say? Mm, okay, let me rephrase this because I don't we're not pointing fingers at anybody or like blaming anybody, but would you say that in that moment, like let's say a parent is maybe listening right now and, and they kind of do the same thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> um is the opposite choice in that moment compassion? Um, I would say the opposite choice. Yes. Compassion. I would start with curiosity. Mm. Really? I would start with, you know, making space for, right. You know, in, in my own faith walk, that mm. has been a really beautiful experience for me mm. in that, uh, God invites mm. the, um, the, the wrestling, the grappling with yes, it, is, mm -hmm. it is something that he invites rather than, you know, says, how dare you? Right. Yeah. It Why is aren't you believing me? <laughs> right. Right. It is something that is just a beautiful relational kind of invitation that God gives. And, um, and so when I think about parent child, I, I think what, and, you know, being a parent myself, that's something that I have to continue to remind myself of what does that mean for me and my work with, you know, just navigating space with my child that I do not have to be afraid mm -hmm. of their wrestling, mm -mm. their emotions, you know, mm -hmm. their struggle. Mm -hmm. I can give myself permission to get curious with it because I am already under, mm -hmm. right? Right. Amen. The, mm -hmm. the, who, who has the victory, right? I am right. already right. under that umbrella. And so that so I think your child. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so is my child. And so it gives me that space to right. practice curiosity. And from that place of curiosity, mm. the, the next step then I think is the compassion. Now, how do I pour compassion over 
right? What is in fact coming up for my child? I don't have to judge it. I don't have to be angry with it. I can recognize that what is coming up for my child is coming up for them for their good reason. Mm -hmm. Is it effective for them? Is it serving them well? Perhaps not, perhaps not. But if I can practice as I make space for whatever is coming up for them through curiosity, if I can practice now pouring over compassion, pouring compassion over Mm -hmm. what it is they're communicating to me. Now that is a co-regulating experience for Mm -hmm. my child. Mm -hmm. Now my child has access to that rest, that place of rest and Mm -hmm. restoration. Now they have access to their own place of rest and restoration, Mm -hmm. right? Which now opens up the centers of their brain that tell them that they are capable of growth and change. How do we get unstuck? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the power of compassion. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So let's uh, repeat that. Let's draw that out a little bit. You've said it perfectly and I get it. I'm used to a lot of those words, but I I know some people who are listening might be like, well, what did she just say? Um, So can can you explain just one more time when it comes to co-regulation, how does one person do that for another? And, and yeah, just what the power of compassion is. Absolutely. I start, like, I almost think maybe a framework of, a framework that I use is what I call my three C's. It's curiosity, mm-hmm. then compassion, and then courage. Mm-hmm. Curiosity, then compassion, and then courage. So if I start from a place of curiosity, let's say with my child, if I start with curious questions, tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. What's going on, Right you know, um, like, tell me more about how you feel there. Making, making that space through curious questions, it then, then they start to open up. And then from that place where they're opening up, how do I pour compassion over their responses? That makes sense. I can understand why you might feel that way, right? That's really hard. You know, at the time of my life, I, I, I felt like that too you know, relating with them, normalizing, they're not alone. That's that, that's the compassion from that place of curiosity. And as I start pouring compassion over their responses, that is a co-regulating experience. What I mean by that is it helps to regulate their nervous system. Mm-hmm. Right. So often when our children are activated, they are trying to borrow the nervous system of a caregiver around them. Mm-hmm. And if they see that their caregiver is activated, they got nothing to borrow from. Right. 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 And so when they can experience the regulation from a caregiver or their secure attachment figure, right, that is the co-regulating experience for them. Mm. And when they feel co-regulated, it helps them access that higher level of thinking, Mm. the problem solving, right? The creativity. Um, Mm. And from that place, it opens up the the courageous Mm. new, right? Mm. What can I try here, right? What can I try here that maybe I've never tried before? What can I consider that I've never considered before? That's the courage component. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. 
I love that. The way you described it is, is, uh, you know, it's very similar to what I teach and how I help women, but I don't use those exact words, but as you're saying this to me, I, I definitely can find that in friends and I can find that in my husband, but you know, again, because I was single for so long, I get that from God. Hello. Right. I mean, when I'm twirling, right. When I'm twirling, when I'm, when I'm losing it, when I'm grief, when I'm sadness, when I'm lonely, when I'm all the things that are making me spin out and I could go act out in a way that would be really detrimental to myself or to other people. I have learned that God, and I, and like to, to use your words, to borrow from him because he's always calm. (laughs) Like, hello. God is always peace. God is always the place where I get to be co-regulated. And that is the power of being in his presence, right? Is that after I have my temper tantrum or my breakdown or my whatever, there's calm, there's peace. And then him and I start talking, well, what now, what next, what can you do? But so many people jump over that. So many people don't, they don't, let the emotional release happen. They just go right to the, fix you know, it. the fix it, or I have to claim the truth, or I just have to believe more, or I, I just have to pray more. I just have to, and they just totally like, they try to white knuckle their way through forcing themselves to be calmer instead of like going to that person or that place where they can receive what they need to get calm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do they do that? Why do people, you know, jump over? And I just did a whole month on this with my people in my group where I was like, you have to receive the compassion or the encouragement from their thing. You need to receive from the Lord. Totally. I think, yeah, that's, I think it's a great question. Why do we do that? Um, Oftentimes it's because we got the message that there is no place for our wrestling there is no, there is no place for our, um, uh, pausing our, um, checking mm. in with our emotional health, similarly to what I was describing as, you know, kind of what I grew up with, yeah. um, that like, we got the message that white knuckling is the only way to yeah. get, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Um, or that we felt like we will not be responded to, yeah. right. Or we forget that we have access to um, this invitation from God at all times. Like mm-hmm. often, you know, I have a, a post that's on my note, uh, on my my desk here that says, remembering is a grace. Mm-hmm. Remembering is a grace, mm-hmm. right? It ha- It is a grace, particularly when we're so resourced, right? I think in, you know, so crazy we have, right? We've got people and we've got, you know, um, you know, resources and in these other areas that, Mm. you know, it is, it's, it's, we can forget Mm -hmm. sometimes, Mm -hmm. right. That we have access to the, the, the one who regulates the one who is Mm -hmm. always calm, the one who can always speak into our identity. Like there's, um, I've been studying Genesis and there's this one line that I love so much. And it's when Adam and Eve are in the garden and, um, and they, you know, take from the fruit and they hide mm-hmm. and, you know, God says, why were you hiding? And they say it was because we were naked. 
And God's response to them is, who told you you were naked? Mm -hmm. Who Mm -hmm. told you you were naked? Mm -hmm. The way that I receive that is, who are you getting your identity from? Who Mm -hmm. are you getting that information from about who you are? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. I just love that that was God's first question. I know, isn't it great? He's like, I didn't tell you that. <laughs> I didn't tell you that. I didn't <laughs> and tell I'm you the one that. who made you. So if I didn't tell you, who's telling you this? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's where it com- I come back to the remembering as a grace. Mm. It is yeah, good. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay, well, if we're going to keep this just a power packed little episode today, even though I could talk to you about this for hours. I know. Same. Where could we go from here with the, like, I think just again, just talking about some of this is going to help. I think people who are parents and people who maybe grew up in a critical home or a home that didn't have a lot of compassion. We've already covered a lot of ground. People who think that maybe God lacks compassion and they're like, no, I can't tell God what I'm struggling with because God is not compassionate. Yes, he is. Yes. Our God is compassionate. Um, But yeah, what are some practical, I mean, let's get crazy practical here to wrap up. We know compassion is maybe like kind words, but is it a gentle touch? Is it a space? Is it time? Like if we're defining somebody who's not used to showing themselves compassion or somebody else in their life, compassion, or even receiving it from other people, um, practically, tangibly, how, how do people do it? Uh, Yeah. Another great question. Um, I would say first, I think it's important for us to recognize how the other ways of moving are not serving us Mm -hmm. where at some point they were adaptive. They are no longer adaptive. Mm -hmm. They've in fact become maladaptive Mm -hmm. because um, I'm always anxious or I'm, I'm always white knuckling Mm -hmm. or um, I can find myself in this tailspin of, um, uh, just deprecating language toward myself, um, or, you know, again, just really getting honest about how these other ways of moving are no longer serving me. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And they are having a, uh, they are, they ha- they're having a significant cost, mm-hmm. right? That's really, really important bef- because we have to have a why, mm-hmm. why would I even engage this way? if that old way of moving was serving me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I the old be- way being the opposite of compassion. So judgment, exactly. criticism. Okay, yes. Mm-hmm. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Getting honest about the cost of that old way. That's right. We have to get honest about the cost of the old way. Okay. The practice of self-compassion, I think, is one in which we have to sort of move from this question of what's wrong with me to what happened to me? What happened to me? to um, make this way of moving, um, again, something that I engage with, right? What, what happened to me that made this, um, that, that activated this behavior in me? So for example, I, let's say I got really angry at my spouse or I blew up at someone or I, um, I just can't get myself to do this thing that I want to do, mm-hmm. right? What has happened to me in my lived experience mm-hmm. that is keeping me from this, mm. right? It's, it's this practice of getting curious with myself. 
Mm. Right. So reframing this question of what's wrong with me, like what's wrong with me to what happened to me? Mm. Right. What That's happened? So huge. I don't know if I've ever been able to put that question into such a simple reframe. Um, mm. But I do know that I hear that a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. People, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Why can't I just do more or be better? What's wrong with me? And again, because I didn't really grow up with that mindset. I'm like, I, I don't, other than that very short phase in my life where I was dealing with the uh, singleness that became kind of oppressively hard. I've never asked myself what's wrong with me. I've always asked myself like what's, and this isn't me trying to toot my own horn right now. This is no. just trying to understand a brain that goes there first, like yes. that you go there first to just assume that there's something wrong with you. Yes. Like, no, Yes. first of all, there's something wrong with all of us. It's called sin, but that yeah. just makes you a human. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and also that question is not helpful. That question yeah. doesn't help anything at all, but the question of what happened here or what happened to me or maybe what can I do? Those are all helpful questions. Yes. And so it's like, um, like there's a, a, a modality of therapy that I've just recently been learning. I'm trained in something called emotion focused therapy, but a modality that I've been recently learning is called ACT and ACT therapy. The acronym is acceptance, com- acceptance and commitment therapy, acceptance mm-hmm. and commitment therapy. What that means is Um, it's this practice of accepting my human condition Mm -hmm. while persisting Mm -hmm. or being committed to the pursuit of the things that matter to me, Mm -hmm. right? Being committed to the pursuit of things that Mm -hmm. matter to me. So recognizing that I have a human condition, right? Mm -hmm. There Mm -hmm. are, I have my threat response behaviors, Mm -hmm. whatever they are whether it be avoidance, whether it be escape, whether it be fight, whether it be flight, isolation, I have those threat response behaviors, right? Accepting that that human condition is within me. Mm-hmm. What it does, however, is it keeps me from the things that matter. It keeps me from connection to myself and it keeps me from connection to what and who matters to me. Right. Right. I love that. And so, um, what, what I do believe is important, I think from that place is to now look at, to utilize your language, Rebecca, the truth and the lies, mm-hmm. right? What are those lies that come up for me when I am operating from a threat response position, mm-hmm. right? What are those lies? What are the stories that those, that threat response position is communicating to me about myself Mm-hmm. primarily, and then also the world around me. And I have to critically evaluate the accuracy of those statements mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. generally they are false. Mm-hmm. They are. <laughs> generally right? And I have to practice critically evaluating the accuracy of those statements. Right. And from that place, you know, and, and there's, there's a lot there too, as far as like, there mm-hmm. could be trauma there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I have to give myself permission to just practice a new move mm-hmm. like just I just if if for nothing else to get some data points yeah to get some data points yeah right what would it look like if um I I found myself in that position of what's wrong with me right and I as I bring awareness to it as I bring awareness to that language that I'm communicating to myself to interrupt it mm-hmm. to interrupt it mm-hmm. right Mm-hmm. Um, go to the word, mm-hmm. 
go to prayer, right? Go and, to breath work. Yeah. And I would say we do this about other people too. I mean, we do, there's definitely that inner critic, but like, I think we can get scary and in that just fearful or defensive or whatever is being triggered mode where we speak this way in our mind about our loved ones, mm-hmm. our, our friends or our bosses. And we have to stop that too. You know, we have to, this isn't true what you're actually thinking about your husband or your kids or your mom or your dad or whoever, like, like critically evaluate the accuracy of that thing that's going through your head <laughs> about that person. A thousand percent. A yeah. Thousand and, percent. and this is kind of where maybe actively having compassion because we can even ask that question. What's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, well, and, and that's what we know. <laughs> oh, totally. And you know, I, this is something that Brene Brown says that I love, which she says that suffering is not a finite pie. Suffering is infinite as is compassion. Compassion mm-hmm. is not a finite pie, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It is infinite. Meaning that the more compassion that I can give to myself, the more compassion it breeds for others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Often yeah, okay. So yeah, we, have to, know, we, yeah. we're, we have to wrap it up here. I want to wrap it up with, again, okay, just for people who are listening, who might be afraid of compassion. I know there, I know people in my own life and people who are there, they tend to, you know, blame it on their Enneagram number or whatever, but they're more protective. They're more self-protective. They'll call it. I'm being protective. They'll call it. I'm being wise or I'm being, I'm just naturally skeptical, whatever the words are that they use that, that the, the truth is, I think they're a little bit afraid of, of compassion, of too much grace, of too much, whatever, because X, Y, and Z, someone will Mm -hmm. attack me. I'll get taken off guard. I'll get hurt. You'll get hurt. Um, I'll get lazy. You name it, what they're afraid of. Mm -hmm. And I just want people who are listening today to, you don't have to be afraid. I mean, Mm -hmm. how could, how could compassion be something that we have to be afraid of? I mean, is there such a thing as too much compassion Mm -hmm. or too much grace? Beautiful. And that's why I call it Rebecca, I call it a practice rather Mm -hmm. than doing it. I call Mm -hmm. it a practice because practice is clumsy. We Mm -hmm. fumble through it. It's Mm -hmm. messy, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's where I just want to encourage people to give themselves permission to just practice it Mm -hmm. and notice. Notice if they can see a shift Mm -hmm. in the persistence of that practice. Notice if they can see a shift as far as movement. Right. Mm-hmm. As far as how that actually impacts their day to day. I love that. Just practice it starting internally, probably. Um, and then, and then with other people always. and, and I say starting specifically and always at the feet of God receiving compassion, like, I Oh, think, hello. Right? Okay. <laughs> Another <laughs> two hours. Yep. <laughs> When you receive compassion and you know what it feels like, then you can speak it over yourself and you can give it to other people, so on and so forth. But yeah, that is, that's That's exactly the sequence. If people want to know more about that, they can join my group coaching program. (laughs) Or um, if people want to connect with you, I know that you can really only practice uh, therapy in in the state that you live in, but I I think you have a website, a few articles on your website. Um, Do you mind sharing your website if people just want to know about you? It's easy. It's just juliehalltherapy.com. And people can reach me through juliehalltherapy at Gmail. So certainly can send me an email. I'd be happy to support people in any way that I can. 
Oh, well, I really, really appreciate you because I know you don't really have some people are, you know, have their own podcast or book or product to kind of, to kind of sell. And I think you're just here today because you love the Lord and love talking about this stuff and love helping people. And so I am, I'm just honored that you took the time today and really, really have enjoyed this conversation. (laughs) Oh, same Rebecca. Thank you so much. Thank you for what you, what you do. Thanks for listening all the way through to the end. Make sure you check the show notes for links to everything that was referenced in today's episode. Make sure you join the Facebook page and the Abundant Life Lab if you want to be doing this work on a practical level. And ladies, there are so many people out there who need this content. Women who are wondering what they were made for. Women who are trying to fix their bad theology. Women who think there must be more life than this. Please rate and review the show. Please share it on your social media. Please send it to friends so that we can continue to build an army of women who are bringing glory to God and bringing heaven to earth. Thanks. See you next week.